Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Stella, is you okay? Is you? Because I want to know. I want to know. And this is Batgirl the Oracle. And don't really know what episode it is. Let me look this up real quick. Don't really know. Mm, episode 67 for September. And there's a bunch of letters. Don't really know why anyone would want to do some sort of dating system like this. MMXII. I don't even know what the devil that means. Whatever. I hope you is okay. Because we is going to get this show on the road Episode 67 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Oh no! My camera's lost! I'll help you find her. We don't have time to waste! Blind does not mean you cannot see how to solve problems. Let's all look. No luck. Can't find her! You found Puffy! I heard her meowing. Mark has learned to use his other senses better. Remember, having a handicap... Doesn't mean you're helpless. Now we know! And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Batgirl the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are November's Batgirl number 25 and Birds of Prey number 25, both for $2.00 and 69 cents. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Finally, Backworld Oracle is brought to you by Tweaked Audio, 
Com. High performance noise reducing earbuds. Purchasers who use the code TBU SAVES get 33% off your whole order plus free worldwide shipping. TweakedAudio.com. Plug in, turn up the volume, and give us a try. Hey, this is Stella. I think there's only one person in the entire world who will know what the heck that opening was about. So there's a shout out uh, for Jacob there. I've got a couple comments uh, that people laid down on the TBU site where my podcast is now hosted, of course. If you don't email me or post on my Facebook group or something like that, you can always post there. So a couple comments there and a couple discussion points that I guess I will be having randomly with myself. And I guess that's the, the downside of podcasting by yourself, the fact that there's no one to have a discussion with or beat down with a stick or break. Bane style if you don't like what he or she is saying but hey such is life first off just a completely random comment i'm really loving teenage mutant ninja turtles right now like i'm just in this total tmnt zone and it really started this spring just started trying to watch the older stuff wasn't getting into it i think it was just like a weird mindset that i was in at the time anyways started watching the nickelodeon and for the most part got into it you know the the 3d style certainly takes getting used to i tried the comics and i really like uh, just the originality of them certainly staying true to everything kevin eastman is writing it um but coming at it from someplace else and they're just really fun and the micro series are awesome and amazing just love it and now i've been watching the 2003 tmnt series each morning when I get up that's sort of the thing I do I get up I shower of course um, watch the weather and then sit down and as I eat I watch a usually an episode of something it's got to be a 20 minute show and that's what I've been doing so I've, I've been on the second season now and I just ordered you know those they're not fat heads but I think fat heads is still the same thing where you can stick it on the wall and peel it off if you want to move it and I just got this I just thought you know I'm gonna do it because I've got some blank white walls and who wants that and I just got a a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle that says like turtle trouble and just trying to decide should I put it in my living room or should I put it in my bedroom by my bed but it's just I think it's a great time to be a turtle fan because it just really seems like there's a resurgence um, and stuff that's coming out I really recommend the IDW stuff I'm not following it up to date I, I'm I've been getting it by trades um, and there's just awesome stuff to watch and I don't know about this movie that's coming out with Megan Fox a little scared about it but I just recommend you know getting started just read something watch something see if you like the turtles and yes Leonardo is my favorite turtle in case you were wondering but I guess that's my random comment of the day two comments from people the first one's from Lewis Knight and this was a comment on episode 65 he says I agree with Tom Penneries any problems I had with Man of Steel were nitpick things as well the ending was way too long but I felt like they just chose a guy that fit the suit because they thought girls would think he was cute and want would want to see the movie more the movie wasn't bad as far as the sequel Batman should not be a part of this movie and it should just be a Superman movie but if they are going to use the sequel to introduce other characters of the Justice League of America then at least pick an actor worthy of the name Batman 
Affleck is the worst possible choice they could have made. There are many more deserving and influential actors that would have made a much better Batman. If they decide to merge the Earth-1 Batsuit with the Dark Knight Batsuit that Christian Bale wore, who, by the way, was a horrible choice. It's not Bale that we liked, but the fact that we had another Batman movie, and that excited us more than anything. But if they merge the two Batsuits, it will look more like armor, a knight from the round table, and it won't matter who is in the suit. Just seeing, just knowing Ben Affleck, a horrible choice is not associated with Batman sickens me. The only reason Ben Affleck went as far as he did is because Matt Damien carried him. So I wrote to uh, Lewis here and I said that I respectfully disagree um, mainly with his uh, Batman points. I do have a question to clarify. What do you mean about Earth 1 and then Dark Knight Batsuit? Are we talking comic Earth 1 or are you thinking that this Superman Batman movie is taking place in a different universe so I did wonder about that and and I haven't heard anything but of course I've been sort of away from the internet so I haven't really been looking for new stuff on DC but I assume unlike Marvel that really these things do take place in, in their own little areas and that one is not tied to the other but I don't know if we can necessarily call it Earth One compared to what is going on, but I could be just completely misinterpreting what you're saying, Lewis, and you're actually talking about the comics. Now, here's the thing. Everyone, when Ben Affleck was, was voiced, everyone was freaking out. And by everyone, I probably mean at least 90% of the population. I, when I heard this, because I heard it from Donovan, because I don't know where I was at the time, I think I was playing Battlestar Galactica, the board game, actually. So there I was, I got this, and I thought about it for a moment. And I'm like, you know what? I may not agree with the choice, but I think it's going to be okay. I, I think that people have taken this to an extreme. Um, there's fan love, and then I think there's a, a bit too much. I mean, think of how many people, how many characters we have really hated the choice. We hated Ryan Reynolds and Screen Lantern, and, well, obviously the movie didn't work out. But the thing is, uh, he did an okay job as Green Lantern. It's just the fact that the script wasn't terrible. And I think a lot of people blame the actors for other problems. How many times have we heard poor Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman being blamed for uh, the betrayal of uh, Attack of the Clones? And uh, hello? I mean, it had to be written. It had to be directed. All of this stuff goes into it. So you can't blame the actor for that. I, I think people didn't want Michael Keaton to be Batman. And now he's one of the cult classics there. People don't want certain actors to be, as literature major characters, when they're taking the book and making it into a movie. There we go. I had, had a bit of an issue. I sort of had a discussion with someone. And I guess this is just literature snobbery. But... Did Kiera Knightley really fit the Anna Karenina role? I mean, we're going to, this is going to be going on for a long time, and it's going to be every single character. Anyone is going to have a problem with it. I think that Ben Affleck is a good actor, and I disagree a lot about this Batman. Uh, Matt Damon carried him because he has 
a great deal of talent in his own right. Uh, Shakespeare in Love is one that I would reference. The Town is a really great movie. And Matt Damon's an awesome actor as well. And they're, yeah, they're, they're BFFs and everything. But I don't think that you can say Matt Damon carried him. Affleck has his career and has his talent in his own right. People slam him against the wall for Daredevil. I actually think Daredevil is a pretty good movie. Um... It was, again, it was the way they cut it. Uh, I recently watched the director's cut of it, which cuts out a lot of the romance between him and Elektra, makes it a more streamlined story. He does fine as, I, I mean, what is the problem with him portraying Daredevil? I mean, we had problems with the costumes, but it wasn't his actual portrayal, I don't think. I mean, again, it's the story, and he had no control over that. He was doing what he was directed to do. So... You know, I, I think we can all complain about what's going on here, but in the end, you're just going to have to accept it, and you're going to have to go with a little faith that the director knows what he's doing. And if you enjoyed Man of Steel, which I did thoroughly, then I'm going to trust Zack Snyder uh, right now and, and hope that Matt Damon... Oh, sorry. See, now this has got me on Matt Damon. Ben Affleck is, is going to do an okay or a great job. So... I, I just think people need to, to calm down. I'm not telling you to calm down, Lewis, but I think just people, and I think it's it's been a couple of weeks, so perhaps they have, but it's time to just accept what has happened and and look at the positive side of things. So uh, we, we don't even, we've not seen anything. So it's all judgment. It's like a blind judgment on everything. So just think about all of the, I mean, again, Michael Keaton, everyone thought that is a terrible choice and was he really that bad in your opinion so just just food for thought uh thanks for writing in lewis um i definitely i mean i i i love to hear opinions on this stuff and and people you know my audience may agree with lewis or you may agree with me and that's fine you know i welcome opinions of course uh, next from Glenn, next and last, I guess. Uh, love Backworld Oracle. Not sure if you're aware, but the Barbara Gordon on Beware the Batman will be increasingly prominent beginning with this Saturday, which was uh, 914. It's episode Allies. I'd be interested in hearing your views on their Barbara. Thanks. Yeah, I just, well, I saw that this weekend, I guess. Um, it's great. Really bringing her back to the younger Barbara. Uh, she's very reminiscent of the Batman Barbara Gordon and just this this great love and almost idolism of Batman and, and thinking that he's cool. But even beyond that, you just see the awesome relationship she has with her father because throughout that entire thing, she's like, my father is going to get you. Uh, and that's really, I think, at the heart of of Barbara Gordon because she's smart and we haven't really seen that yet because she's she played the damsel in distress right so we we've only seen a piece of it but definitely smart and capable underestimated so let's see how how she transitions and and they have said that they're not going to do Batgirl yet really focusing on Katana and maybe Babs will get into some computer stuff uh, that's really what they were focusing on but We'll see, but really that love that she has for her father is, is something that is really important to the character and really means something. And that's something that has bugged me in the New 52 because it, it's just been a loss. There's been zero interactions, but loving uh, that Tara Strong is voicing her again, and, and she's just fun, and man, a firecracker for sure, and she's she's got the quips and, and is loving life it seems so far so hopefully she doesn't get captured again and we'll see where it goes so yeah so thanks to lewis and glenn for writing in 
And now I have three three discussion points, which really, I mean, discussion, I may say something really quick or I may stop. So first of all, if you remember a couple of episodes back, I was talking about Alicia in Batgirl coming out and saying that she was transgendered and it was in this very nonchalant way and it just seemed for me really out of nowhere and there wasn't really any heart to it and you know of course you know people may disagree with me and and hopefully they didn't take offense at 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 what I said but uh, this is just my opinion as a reader when I think about other ways that other people um, in comics may have come out I just thought that it was written very poorly and and just let me put it down on the page and so I was reading my FF trade and uh, bizarrely I get oh I say bizarrely because I'm not used to all of these characters which is something I talked about when I was with Tom that really coming to FF you gotta take all these characters in so of course you have those those weird little aliens Tong and and all of those characters uh, Mick, Kor, Turg and Tong and so so one uh scene i don't know what issue this would be maybe three no i guess it'd be could be six or seven but anyway so tong is talking and tong says brothers i have this thing and now you will have it as well it will be ours and we will find out what ownership of this thing means i have a girl inside of me and of course tong has a uh, a dress on I tried to be a boy like you, but there is no boy here, and I do not wish to be what I am not any longer. This is unexpected. It is unexpected and scary and wonderful. It is new. Who I am is new, my brothers. You have a sister. Are you still my brothers? Are you still my family? And then one of them comes up and says, love my Tong. And then Tong says, I love you too. And they all hug him, her. And uh, she goes, oh, I love you also very much. So that happens in a page, which caught me off guard because... It seemed like it was not transitioned well. However, the the way that it happened, just really explaining everything, I don't know. It seems even in a page, it seemed like it was laid out better than what Gail Simone did in Batgirl. And everyone was re- it was more of an emotional scene, um, just because she was talking to her brothers and and really wanting acceptance of that and explaining to them what was going on and that she tried this and that this would be her new life. And then they hugged and and everyone loved each other. And so there was that I love you, which was the same thing that happened with Alicia and, and Babs. But I feel like on this level, it, it was more down to earth and realistic um and not rushed and so those are my thoughts uh but i wanted to hear from you if you disagreed with my thoughts on that back roll scene have you read this ff issue and and this scene and if so how do you think they compare to each other did you like one better than the other so i'd love to hear from you on that particular thing um my cohorts over at the batman universe i'm sure if i brought this up they would have no idea what i was talking about because really i'm the person who reads the most marvel over there so i can't talk to them about that but i'd love to get into a discussion with you guys so please write me or send me um yes an email which would be writing or you know post all those sorts of things so a couple of the uh, other discussion points really first of all I guess they're both about DC but you may not be following Batwoman DC Comics but Williams and J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman they're leaving they're leaving that comic and 
here's the quote. Unfortunately, in recent months, DC has asked us to alter or completely discard many long-standing storylines in ways that we feel compromise the character and the series. We were told to ditch plans for Killer Croc's origins, forced to drastically alter the original ending of our current arc, which would have defined Batwoman's heroic future in bold new ways, and most crushingly prohibited from ever showing Kate and Maggie actually getting married. All of these editorial decisions came at the last minute, and always after a year or more of planning and plotting on our end. We are, we're both heartbroken over leaving, but we feel strongly that you all deserve stories that push the character in the series forward. We can't reliably do our best work if our plans are scrapped at the last minute, so we're stepping aside. We are committed to bringing our run to a satisfying conclusion, and we think that issue 26 will leave a lasting impression. Hey, here's my thing. What is DC thinking right now? And that's not the like, what are you thinking? But seriously, like, what is their mindset with what is going on? This is like the third or fourth creator that's leaving and basically citing editorial disagreements. Uh, again, it seems like there's a lack of communication with DC. But Batwoman is, for the most part, one of the better books that is coming out uh, creatively just something you could easily fall in love with a, a couple that of course not mainstream right it's it's um, a gay couple but again I've said this many times probably the best written couple in comics um, because it was realistic and you could actually like get into the relationship whereas all of this other like Dick Grayson just you know having sex on a plane do I really connect with that on an emotional level? No, not not at all. So it's just a bummer that, again, something has gone wrong and now we're losing a, a great creative pair. And yeah, that's definitely probably going to weaken the actual book. As for the marriage thing, I'm a little confused about that, mainly because if we have gay characters and they're together and there was an engagement, then why aren't you going the last step? I mean, X-Men, there was a marriage that was really publicized last summer. So I, I don't know what that's about. But I'm just like, DC, there is something going on is all I have to say about that. And, and I hope that oh, I hope that something changes and, and things start to get better. Because right now it's just like really, really down there in, in the dumps. My last thing is a comment that passed around Dan DiDio here. And it's about the Bat family and their personal lives. And a lot of this quote, this quote came up consistently, they shouldn't have happy personal lives for the Bat family. And now I don't know if this is, uh, this is, this seems like something, this quote does not seem like it actually came from his mouth. You know, I keep trying to find the original article, but it doesn't really seem to come. But it seems like everyone is summarizing what he is saying. They shouldn't have happy personalized. But it's really not as simple as all of that. So I don't want you to be swayed just by that quote until, you know, somebody finds the original quote that, I mean, did that really come out of his mouth? Or are people from comic book resources and everywhere else just re-quoting? Because that, that's well, unreliable journalism, hello. So he he talks about them putting on a cape and a cow for a reason. They're committed to being that person. They're committed to defending others at the sacrifice of all their personal instincts. That's something we reinforce. If you look at every one of the characters in the Batman family, their personal lives kind of suck. Bruce Wayne, uh, Dick Grayson, 
Um, but Tim Drake, Barbara Gordon, and Kathy Kane, it's wonderful that they try to establish personal lives, but it's also just as equally important that they put it aside as they know what they are accomplishing as the hero takes precedence over everything else. That is our mandate, that is our edict, and that is our stand with our characters. So really, what I get out of that is that they could potentially have personal lives, but their side life trumps everything. And I somewhat agree with that and I somewhat disagree with that because if that happens, if they decide that the end all and be all is being Batgirl, is being Red Robin, is being Nightwing, then all we have is a Bat family full of Batman. And that's no fun. That's not why we read comics. We don't read, we don't want to read 15 comics with just Batman because already I have to read five of them. So that's ridiculous. On the other end, um, I, I think there is a certain duty. They chose this life so that I think they do need to recognize that they need to give up some of their personal lives in order to save the city. If their ultimate goal is to save the city and this is putting relationships at jeopardy, they need to decide what they want to do. Um, now, personal relationships, I I feel like romantic relationships or friendly relationships like Bab Babs and Alicia, I mean, take her or leave her, that's something that is not necessarily going to help her. Um, Babs and Jim Gordon, I think, is a completely different thing. Uh, familial relationships are going to keep you grounded, and I think that's something that you absolutely need. And... Um, so I would never like throw away the Bruce Wayne Alfred relationship or the the Babs and the Jim relationship if it actually actually existed in the fifty two. But uh, romantic relationships at some point you may just be a lonely hero and and I think that this is something that we've seen for several years with several characters. But until I know that he legitimately said they shouldn't have happy personal lives, uh, I won't really, I mean, I disagree with that quote altogether. I, I think that they need to have some semblance of a normal life, and I can't, they should not be like Batman. And this is the, the track that DC is going down, because all of these books are really dark, and there's no uplifting book. And I was about to put ha uh, Harvey Quinn number zero on my pull list, and then I saw something about artists were asked to draw Harley naked and committing suicide, and I'm like, what in the world? No, no, this is what I'm talking about. So... DC needs to realize that Batman is not the end-all and be-all and that every reader does not necessarily want to read a dark and brooding Batman. Maybe they want to read one dark and brooding Batman book, but maybe they want to read a fun and lively Batgirl book as well. I hope that this happens sometimes. Until then, I'm reading lots of Marvel and, and West DC, less than I have to, of course. So there's that. Hey, let me know if he really did say that quote and... Um, I, I missed it, but it just seems like everything is, is being summarized down to that one quote, and then it's coming down to comic book resources, and then people are quoting comic book resources, and again, I cry foul on that, because we are being led astray. Hey, I talked about a lot of stuff here. Hopefully you didn't get bored with the sound of my voice. That was 20 minutes of talking, my word. Yeah, if you've got any questions or comments on anything that I said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on FF, of course. Yeah, just send them my way, backrolloracle at gmail.com. You can post on my Facebook. Whenever I go on Facebook, I, I always check my little announcements, you know, notifications. And uh, the TBU page, you can always send a comment there. Well, I've got one review 
for the old stuff, the old and good stuff, the vintage. Uh, mainly because I was looking ahead and 504 and 505 are two parts of one story. So I thought, you know, instead of splitting it up, let's just do this one. Still sort of thinking about what uh, special thing I'm going to do for October because I'm not doing the ventriloquist. Sorry for fans out there. That was an awful story. So I'll just be doing two vintage comics and then I will be doing something special. And I'm sort of already thinking about what I'm going to do. And it may be off the beaten track, if you will. But uh, stay tuned for a spooky episode. And, of course, you can always look forward to a commentary episode because I love to do a Halloween classic Halloween episode of something. I love doing those. So first and only up, we have Detective Comics 503, Six Days of the Scarecrow. The cover date is 1981 of June. Writer Jerry Conway, artist Don Newton and Dan Adkins, letterer Ben Oda, colorist Adrian. So there are no other stories because this was jam-packed, a full issue of Batman, Robin, and Batgirl all with the Scarecrow, of course. So this is great that we're close to, well, it's fall and we're close to Halloween, so it works so well. Bruce Wayne sips his coffee in the morning as he reads that mayoral candidate Reeves wants to get Batman out of the city. Reeves will be going up against the Reform Party nominee, Hamilton Hill. Day one, Bruce daydreams about Selina as Lucius Fox fills him in on Wayne Enterprises' business. Later that night, a perp breaks into a pawn shop that he has cased all week, only to unexpectedly run into Batman, who is waiting for him since he caught him loitering during his rounds. After he gets knocked out, Batman feels a sharp prick and finds a dart has struck him. He gives himself the universal antidote, okay, then makes his way to the Batcave. Day two. Back at the office, Bruce bumps into a woman and she pales at the sight of him. Later, at a lunch meeting with Gordon, Hamilton Hill leaves quickly and Gordon tells Bruce that Hill plans to make a statement about the recent problem of police shootings, intending to blame Gordon because of his apparent policy that encourages police to shoot first. Bruce touches Gordon and Gordon flips out. Batman patrols that night. Day 3. At a farm on the Jersey Shore, huh? Some gangsters get out of a boat and are driven to a barn by a man with overalls and a machine gun. The men feel they deserve better respect and are shocked to discover Scarecrow is the boss with some secret labs below the barn. He shows the men two foxes in a crate, frightened of a rabbit, then picks up the rabbit and this actually frightens one of the men. This is the greatest discovery in the history of crime. That night at a rower disco, the men attempt to rob the patrons while riding on skates, uh, because that's a good idea. Batman then shows up and frightens the perps and the public skaters. Day 4. After thinking he has gone mad, Bruce calls in sick to work, and even Alfred is scared stiff, just dropping off food. Alfred calls Dick with the problem, then Dick, as Robin, finds Babs outside the Capitol building, and they both zoom off as Batgirl and Robin towards Gotham City. The Gotham's Trade Center, site of the richest indoor shopping mall on the East Coast, is being robbed and due to many fear pelts being dropped is causing pandemonium. Robin hits Scarecrow but turns his back and is knocked out in return, then Scarecrow escapes when Batgirl goes to help Robin. The two investigate one of the fear gas pellets and find a connection to London chemicals. Via vid screen, Batman tells Robin to examine the rooftops around the pawn shop that Batman was at when hit by the dart, and Batgirl needs to investigate London chemicals. Batgirl arrives and asks Betty London about the pellet when Betty sends one of the workers against Batgirl, but she quickly gets rid of him, then goes after Betty and demands answers. Meanwhile, on the roof, Robin finds some straw. Batgirl and Robin meet up and go to the nearest town with cornfields, which happens to be Hortonville. 
A man in a rocker tells the two about some funny stuff going on at the Murphy place. We see he really works for the Scarecrow, and Batman can't get a hold of the two. The duo is tricked by a Batman Scarecrow, given fear toxin. Somehow, I don't know how that happened. Then they pass out, and Scarecrow laughs. Day 5. Gordon sends his secretary home, enters his office, and finds Scarecrow in his seat. He threatens the city, says he has back on Robin, and Batman is powerless to stop him. Gordon slaps Scarecrow to find out it is a dummy. Um, what, what exactly were his demands? Did I miss that? Gordon calls Batman and clears away on the road for him, though he still comes in contact with the driver who freaks out and lands his car on a bank. Uh, a, a bank as in bank of a river, not a money bank, okay. Scarecrow talks about how he used pheromones to produce an effect to communicate distress. Scarecrow hears Batman is on his way to the town and pretends to be the Scarecrow Batman and goes after the men who happen to be given anti-pheromone injections and now have a lack of caution. Batman comes to the barn. Scarecrow sends a mechanical owl after him. Batman lights some straw on fire and throws it at the bird, which miraculously catches fire. In turn, the barn is ablaze. Scarecrow freaks out because he's, well, a scarecrow. Batman kicks him, and he falls back onto some of his fear injections. And the Bat Family and Scarecrow get out of the barn, and Batman is given an antidote. And I wonder about the two henchmen and whether they were left inside the burning barn. Day 6. The Bat-Fam visit Arkham Hospital and learn that Scarecrow is so phobic, he is even scared of himself. So end the six days of the Scarecrow. Sometimes when I'm reading, just thoughts pop up when, when I come to a particular detail so definitely the majority of these I think are just plot details that are bizarre or maybe I liked or didn't like uh, you'll kind of get a hint there and then kind of wrap it up all in a nice package a universal antidote how 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 is there a universal antidote something that can fight everything how is that made what did you put in it it just seems like one of those bizarre Batman 66 TV series things that you would find how, when Batman investigates, does he find nothing on the dart? I, I find that peculiar. He couldn't even find the pheromones or anything and then wonder, hey, what's up? Is Dick Grayson still living in a dorm room? How is he able to fit weight room equipment inside of his tiny dorm room, if that is true? Um, we've got a new aide for Barbara, so I wonder what happened to her BFF that, you know, betrayed her a couple issues ago and then was quickly forgiven. All of a sudden, we've got this man. And then Robin calls for Barbara from the bushes. Uh, number one, how did he find her? And, and how did he know exactly where to go? And how did her aide not hear the call and wonder where she run, rushed off to? Hello, details. It's interesting that Scarecrow uses pellets to disperse his toxin. And an empty shell remains behind. Um, I never really thought of them like that. I always thought sort of gas. I think you kind of always imagined. But these pellets... Even even I feel like if you drop something, it, it seems like it would completely dissolve. So just a detail like that is something I've never, I, I think, thought about, even in the cartoon or other comics that I've seen Scarecrow. So just a, a new way to think about it. I like the idea that we have finally gotten to the point that Batgirl and Robin are really individual members, and they make up a whole family with Batman. Batman wor lets them work on their own, and he trusts them as being capable enough to split up and find answers in different areas. I mean, if we were back in the Silver Age, 
when Dick said he would go with Barbara, he would have said, yeah, you better go with Barbara. Or he would have been the person with the idea, whereas he said, no, Babs can do it on her own. So that's great. How sad that Batman had to speak to the two heroes through this vid screen so they wouldn't be frightened of him. I mean, it was just terrible. Like It was like watching Charlie's Angels or something. I don't know. Just like no emotional connection. Batgirl has a cycle again. I wonder when and how she was able to build a new one. I like that there was a devious female as the leader of London Chemicals. I feel like for the longest time, really, the main like bad guys are men. She doesn't really have much of a part, but it was just cool that she was into something. And you don't really know what that is because Batgirl says, I'll call the DEA on you because I know what's in there. And then you're also thinking, so you're threatening her. But shouldn't you actually really call a DEA? So where's Barbara's uh, civic duty there? Because it should be, I'm calling the DEA, not I will call unless you talk. A little bizarre thinking there. When Robin, who's driving the Batmobile, BT-dubs, meets back up with Batgirl, he asks if she learned anything at the chemical place, and she says, could be. With all that went on, uh, seriously, like two to three pages, how could she not have learned anything? That's like the worst dialogue answer ever. Is Hortonville really far away, like really, really, really far away from Gotham City right now? Because all of a sudden it seems like we're running into the country. Uh, what with bumpkins sitting on the rockers, they're in plaid and chewing, you know, the hay and what? Overalls? I don't know. I liked the psychedelic panel when Batgirl and Robin first feel the effects of the toxin. I thought that was cool. Oh man, there's a slap. Gordon so Gordon slaps a lot or punches whatever um, in the new 52 and I think now we know where he gets them from of course when he slaps the scarecrow his head just falls off so whatever the robotic attack owl definitely seemed like something penguin would use uh, and I also wonder how Batman was able oh he also reminds me of Bubo and uh, Clash of the Titans how exactly was Batman able to throw straw and light metal a metal bird on fire did that catch, I mean, hello? Can I talk to a chemistry professor about that? It's convenient that Batgirl just all of a sudden found an antidote to help Batman out. Who knows if it was the anti-pheromone injection or not. It was just called an antidote. So really, the main plan of this, and this is what Scarecrow said, was to make Batman insane from the thought that everyone was just fear-struck um, by looking at him. And the pheromones planted on him caused this fear in others. So I wonder why the pheromone didn't wear off, because it seems like something that would not necessarily stick. And I also wonder why Batman wouldn't have figured out something was up, especially after he was struck by a dart, then realizing that he wasn't insane, but something was in him. Because he's freaking out, and he's like, am I mad? But shouldn't he realize that there is something afoot? I got struck by this dart, can't find anything on this dart, but it's a little weird that there's a dart sticking out of my neck. So I wonder sometimes what comic characters, what, 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 what's going on in their minds when everything's going on. So I feel like it's been a long time since I've read a Scarecrow story, um, for the show anyways, and I feel like this may only be the second one, and the last one was uh, with Dick Grayson at college, and he was freaking out and couldn't do anything. You know, besides some plot details that are unbelievable to me, obviously, and kind of distract from the story almost, I, you know, this was an overall good story. I was happy to see the family together again. For the most part, it was a fun story. And I liked the fact that it was an issue long and it had some 
continuous flow because sometimes it's just hard to get into these 10 page stories with backroll because as soon as you pick it up it's either over completely and I mean what type of good story are you gonna get really in 10 pages or you know you've got a to be continued and then you got another 10 page story and again they have to they've got to sacrifice some storytelling uh, which is something that we discovered you know through through uh, especially voodoo and and her murder trial and all this stuff they have to sacrifice story details uh, just to make the page count it seems and it it's unfortunate for the story because it brings it down but you know this was it kind of got me into the feeling of Halloween I don't know if I've ever told you but I, I really like the fall loving that the temperatures have gone down and Halloween not like the holiday itself necessarily but I don't know it's just like an awesome holiday to like feel I guess you know you've got the spooky movies that are on and you've got the fall and the the colder weather it's just nice to sort of sit and and relax I guess it's kind of like Christmas it just it's a different feeling for me for Christmas it's kind of hard to explain I guess you probably have no idea what I'm talking about so anyways I think you know I was going back and forth between an 8 and 9 so I'll just give it an 8.5 out of 10 you know it was enjoyable but again there's just some weird stuff that goes on that does not make sense so that's my only issue but actually when I was recapping this I'm like oh man it just keeps going on and on because I'm so used to the 10 issue stories that just threw me for a loop well when I come back I'm going to review Macro 23 and Birds of Prey number 23 let's whoa there was some some oh wow so a dog starts barking now A car alarm is going off. Um, oh, okay. I was wondering if it was my car alarm. Anyways, I'm wondering if Batgirl 23, will it keep this uh, high grade? What did I give it in the last one? Like a 9? I mean, that was that was a miracle. Ba Batgirl the Oracle miracle. So we'll see. But for now, we've got Zias's Radio Hour, and it's featuring Sweet Dreams Are Made of This by the Eurythmics. Check you later.
And we're back. You know, the wonderful thing about having these co-hosts that I had over the summer is that, well, there was basically half the amount of books that I would have to recap. Because recapping really is the thing that takes the most time. Uh, because reading and coming up with comments or your opinions on the issue is, I mean, it happens as you're reading the issue and then as you ponder it a little bit afterwards. But, you know, I could evilly laugh and say, ha, 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 I'll give these co-hosts the issue that I don't like and they won't know what's happening but I'm like <laughs> I have to recap the bad ones again so the last issue of Batgirl I think I gave it a 9 out of 10 which is probably the highest score that I gave any of the uh, new 52 Batgirl issues so let's see if it stands with Batgirl number 23 Batgirl Wanted part 1 of 3 Manhunt Boy, I'm really flashing back to the 80s, of course, where we had Batgirl wanted there. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Fernando Pissarin, inker Jonathan Gapion, and colorist Blonde. The Three Towers, Cherry Hill District. Commissioner Gordon and Detective McKenna make a surprise visit to Sharice Carnes, a.k.a. Nightfall, if you remember. Apparently, the charges didn't stick that Carnes was Nightfall, and she flexes her muscles, showing that she knows a great deal about Melody. Gordon puts an end to the discussion, asking for Carnes' cooperation by handing over the parking structure's surveillance tapes and the security detail assigned to the building during the nights in question, which are basically the nights that Backer was around chasing the ventriloquist. Carnes then shows her sympathy for Gordon's loss and says she will help in any way that she can, and Carnes tells him to put the killer Backerl in jail, and Gordon says justice will be done, and then leaves. After he leaves, Charisse contemplates a recent conversation and wants to play it safe since Gordon could be after them and working with Backerl. Elsewhere, Babs and Alicia are on a shopping spree when some rough-looking characters hit on them, hoping for some action. Babs notices that Alicia seems to have gotten used to such approaches, but is so frightened, and this sort of freaks Babs out. She then grabs a plate, smashes it, and uses the shard as sort of a shiv, uh, a weapon to get the guys to leave. A little intense there. Too heavy. Uh, this, of course, gets a little flashback to the non-death of her brother, James. Later, at another part of Cherry Hill, McKenna is trying to get Gordon to go about this in just another way, trying to back Batgirl up and defend her actions. He won't have any of it and goes to interview his next witness, who happens to be Ricky, a local with a record that Batgirl has been in contact with. Meanwhile, at Gotham P568, a gang called the 68 Kings, which a group of them were the ones that attacked Babs and Ricky on their date. As Ricky's brother and Tyrrell threatens to kill him, Ricky's mother, and Babs if Ricky doesn't come down. Ricky calls Babs to say goodbye. Gordon is at his door. He runs out the back to the fire escape. McKenna's there. He swiftly knocks her down and really she's down for the count. Gordon sends out an APB, then sees a photo with Rick. Ricky and Babs and basically, oh, Babs. So Babs, via a GPS tracker in Ricky's car, man, I'm having some uh, Veronica Mars flashbacks for sure, finds out where he and the gang members are. She's dressed in a black getup and has to knock out the cops or else they will kill Ricky. Babs continues through the glass roof of the building, hoping to get it right and take out the gang before anyone else dies. Meanwhile, Nightfall is busy breaking arms when she hears the report that Gordon's heading for one of the gangs that Nightfall gave amnesty to. She doesn't see this as a coincidence and tells Bonebreaker to get the disgraced, aka Mirror, grotesque, 
Gretel, all those wonderful villains that we love so much uh, together again because it's time for Gordon to die. And back with Bab, she's doing all she can as they fire specialized weapons and Ricky frees his brother. Outside, Gordon tells the police they need to make a move now. Many of the members leave while Ricky picks up a gun and points it at Tyrrell. Tyrrell knows that Ricky is a wuss, so he calls his bluff, thinking he won't pull the trigger. So he picks up his gun, and he points it at Ricky's brother. Then, well, the commish runs in. He pulls the trigger on his gun. Babs pushes Ricky out of the way. And later on, Babs tries to, well, later, as in a few seconds later, Babs tries to get Ricky to move, but she notices blood on her hands. She turns him over, and she sees that Ricky has been shot. Who knows if he's going to die. Next up, collateral damage. Okay. Let me just say that it's not the worst issue, but it certainly is far below what we had uh, seen before. My first main critique is that there is entirely too much going on. We have Charisse and Nightfall uh, not only... They've sort of been popping up a little bit along the way uh, in the past two issues or three issues or so, but now they're really making more of a presence, and they're doing their strange business, which apparently they're a bit hypocritical because they will take down bad guys in their own manner, but they'll also do deals with them uh, in order to keep territory or give grace and maybe get some money in return. Um, so I think they need to pick a line and stick to it. So we've got them popping around, and she's going to help Gordon, and she's feeling sympathetic for him. And of course, you know, who knows what sort of relationship she really had with with James Jr. Um, but now we're going to get the, the grotesque or the, the disgrace back, um, which, oh boy, you know how I didn't really like them. And if you remember the Batgirl discussions, some of the, the people on there, the, the pro Batgirl, had said that, you know, it was all really building towards this and with this end goal in mind. Um, and I still sort of disagree with that, and I think we're just, I mean, we've got this rogue gallery that, in my opinion, just was not good. And so why don't we try to salvage it and just have this, like, really great storyline that's maybe going to come out sometime. What's going to be awful, though, is if we have this murder plot, We've and then we have just the issues between James Sr. and Babs, if he ever finds out that Babs is, in fact, Batgirl. And then on top of that, we've got maybe the disgrace coming after her so too much too much but back back to the the present issue we've got all of that we've got man gordon is just he is he's a little loose a little loose canon i still don't understand why he has great emotional connection to his son when he knows what went on so you think he'd be able to get over that but now he's just got this huge vendetta against Batgirl and even his partner can't calm him down then we have Babs who f for the most part seemed to have a normal uh, or semblance of a normal life in the previous issue now she's just going bat you know what crazy First of all, I don't really see those like two punks that we saw. I mean, if you look around the entire scene, you've got basically normal to like gap and limited dressed people, like a really fancy restaurant, and then you've got these two like almost looking gang members. I mean, I guess that's a harsh judgment because perhaps they weren't part of, but like she 
Simone or the artist just gave like really the worst description ever to make it so strange. And and Alicia has problems and, and Babs is zoning in on this that Alicia's, you know, dealing with this kind of stuff all the time and of course she works at a bar so she's probably going to deal with that sort of stuff but she's gotten used to it but she's so a little frightened which is confusing because how can you be used to it and frightened and just break I mean seriously it's like going to a bar breaking a beer bottle and deciding to uh, slash somebody with a uh, with the broken bottle. I mean, she just takes the random plate from the nice French restaurant, breaks it, and decides to threaten them. I mean, a little heavy, a little heavy. And then you've got this Ricky business, which really catapulted from the previous issue, just the gang thing, and Ricky's brother getting himself in trouble. And this is exactly what Bab said. She didn't want any part of it if, if he was going to get involved. And he's not really involved, but sort of by association. And, and, and now he's in trouble with the law, too, because he had to beat on McKenna it's just all over the place I mean I don't even know if you followed my plotting because of all of this stuff that's going on and, and to make matters worse you know Babs decides I cannot be Batgirl I'm gonna rip off this symbol and now she's like completely just disrobed and not really using that Batgirl costume whatsoever she's just basically looking like someone who's about to commit some uh, B&E breaking and entering and so, in my opinion, if you're going to give up Batgirl, it's not just the symbol, but I think it's also the lifestyle. Uh, some people may argue she's just not, she doesn't want to associate herself with the Bat family anymore. Of course, you know, these, these ties are already very tense with what happened in Death of the Family, but really I don't understand what happened there. And, you know, and then this James Jr., she just doesn't think that she belongs in this family anymore. But really, it's not about the family, it's, do you even deserve to be a hero after what happened. I mean, I think that this is like a very um, short-sighted way of um, dealing with the aftermath of what has happened, but she's still sort of doing her hero thing. She's still using GPS trackers on her boyfriend's car, just like Veronica Mars did one time with Logan. Um, and, you know, she's dressing up all in black, and here she's going after some cops to take them down and protecting Ricky. So I, I just disagree. I think, you know, if you're going to go all the way with this, then you should make her give up the entire cowl and then... I, you know, somehow find her way back, but apparently that's not what we're going to do. And now, you know, we're throwing this, is Ricky dead now? I mean, Babs had, again, sort of a next-to-normal, great musical, by the way, next-to-normal view of what her life could be like, and now, like, we're snatching that away, so... Again, there's like this moment, this almost potential bright spot in the comic, and we've got to throw gasoline on it, light it on fire, say, no, we don't want none of that. So, ugh, here we go. I don't know. It's just, it's just unfortunate. Just all these stories coming together. Um, is it just too convenient? I mean you know, the murderer um, storyline that's coming from James Jr., Ricky and the Date all coming together, Nightfall, I mean, three very diverse things all coming together. Does that seem realistic to, to you, or does it seem forced and just like, hey, let's do it, let's make them all match, and this is how we're going to do it. It's like a weird jigsaw puzzle or connect the dots, and somehow they connect it, but it's a really weird picture. 
I do think that McKenna is definitely portrayed better than she was before. Um, not really this whiny person. She still has this connection, this shady connection with Nightfall that we don't completely understand. And I don't think it was thoroughly... I mean, I remember being given background on her and her late husband or boyfriend or whatever it was. But it's... Ugh, it's still very cloudy. Gordon is just, like I said, bat he's bat crazy and he it's just depressing about where where his character is gone and i am hoping that something good comes of this story and i'm wondering what would happen if gordon finds out about babs being batgirl is this going to be a good thing or a, a terrible thing for the relationship because the relationship is non-existent i mean they've basically been together in in two issues perhaps and I you know a few panels and you know I've said it multiple times this is the relationship that um, I think needs to be applauded in pre new 52 is just a great relationship between a father and a daughter or an uncle and a niece depending on what you're looking at but it was just great to see them and and when he told her that you know I've known all along that you've been back girl it was well it was a shock of course but then it was just great to see these storylines and and you know you're listening along and you're reading along with me hopefully on you know what's been going on and I always comment that it's great that we've got Gordon because he's definitely like a Jiminy Cricket for her and when she goes off and says I can't do this or I'm unworthy and and I'm unable to really fix the problems in the city then he's the one that tells her that she does have the ability and and to really to buck up and and keep going so i i don't know in my opinion if this happens i feel like it's going to take a really negative turn because it's i mean if you look at it like if i could create a graph which i'm wondering what type of graph it would be probably like a point uh and line graph i'm sure it wouldn't be bar but i mean it's just been a really negative and dark direction that this book has taken so i i don't know why we could expect or hope for any um positive effects from a reveal but i think i've probably talked enough about this book i'm going to give it five out of ten so basically it went from a 90 to an F, <laughs> an A to an F, that's great, in one issue. I don't know, this is Murderer, it's like, oh, we've done this before, but of course we did it before 30 years ago, so I guess it's time for a redo, I don't know. Uh, so we'll see what happens, I guess. Next up we have Birds of Prey number 23. Dreams That Never Were, writer Christy Marks, penciler Romano Molinar, breakdown Scott McDaniel, inker Jonathan Glapion, and colors Chris Sotomayor. Uh, just a shout out for my own podcast. I guess that's a little egotistical since you're listening to this. But uh, be sure to check out the Christy Marks interview that I did in September. It was just great to be able to talk to her and, well, number one, get to know her story and, and just her history with comics and then talk about Birds of Prey, of course, which is one of my favorite books that comes out each month from DC. So Uplink, part of a Basilisk superhuman team, has all the birds under, well, something. Can't really tell if it's mind control or something. Comatose and in a dream world specific to each member. The Basilisk members each start picking which bird they would like to take out when uh, Cyclone tells the boys that the mental whiplash would destroy the connection Uplink has established. So basically don't do it. Cyclone grabs hold of Condor and we see Condor having a dream of his past with a blonde, assumingly Cyclone, then kissing Dinah. 
but then as I relook at it, uh, the entire dream could be about Dinah. It's actually very, it's hard for me to tell, to be honest. Dinah dreams of a time when Team 7 defended Pandora's box, and Kurt was missing with Dinah searching for him. She finds him, and Kurt tells her that she doesn't need him anymore. We discover that Kurt keeps her power under control and can also cause it to explode out of control. So we're getting some answers that I've had for a long time. We then flash to her short relationship with Condor, if we can call it a relationship. Two kiss scenes is on a relationship make. Batgirl dreams of a, would you believe, exceptionally happy moment moment with all members of the Gordon family home for Thanksgiving. Oh, James Jr. and Babs back from college. James is sure that he wants to help people heal, looking into the psych major. And Babs has been accepted into the FBI profile and division. Mom and Dad are so proud. And it is a picture-perfect scene. The transport arrives to carry the birds to Regulus, and Upwing struggles as Strix remembers her past as a small child who loved to sing, and the picnic right before the tragic balloon bombs in Oregon. Uplink loses control, and Strix tries to break Batgirl out, but is attacked by the other members of Basilisk. Batgirl is awakened, fighting with Strix, shoving her thumbs into Hammerdown's eyes. The capsules with Canary and Condor have already been loaded, and Cyclone appears to tell the others to leave now. Strix and Batgirl watch as the transport zooms away. Dinah wakes up inside the capsule without her canary cry. Impossible. She breaks out and sees Kurt in a capsule beside her with Regulus standing behind her. Next, the long-awaited reunion of Black Canary and Kurt Lance. Well, if you really think about it, not much happens in this issue. I mean... The birds are in the same situation as the last issue. Strix and Batgirl get out, but Condor and Canary get taken to Regulus. And really, that would have been a quick summer if I had done that. Despite this fact, though, the dream sequences really make this issue. I, I think all the dreams are really great and give us deep snapshots into each character. I do wonder, however, you know, given the title of the issue and what Sikwan was saying to Condor, what are you dreaming about? A dream that never was and never will be. Are these false dreams? Now, one could easily say yes, given these circumstances, um, especially if you look at the, the Batgirl one. But if you look at the dreams, Condor and Strix in particular, we know these scenes, or at least some of them, are true. Dinah's dreams seem to be realistic as well, and we get more info on her relationship and, and really the funky powers that she's got when she's near Kurt. Batgirls is pretty disturbing, I guess I'll use that as my adjective, given the fact that I can never see the Gordon family being this happy, and James Jr. being this controlled and sane and wanting to help people sort of freaks me out. Survey says this one is definitely false. Strix's dream is tragic given the fact that she loved to sing but now can barely speak, so again this one seems more on the realistic side since it does incorporate the real the, the events that actually happen. I wonder how Strix broke out of her dream and she broke the connection with Uplink. Was it something as simple as realizing it wasn't a dream or was it because she was, I mean, she's basically dead. She's a zombie, kind of. Batgirl Sterling gets more deadly, what with the eye poke, but all in all there wasn't much action in this issue even though Hammerdown and Whipcrack really wanted a piece of the birds. But again, you know, I, I think this issue was presented well without it. It works well that the team is separated and Dinah and Ben end up with the Basilisk group since they are the ones that are most connected to them because I think having all of them there may have been crowded and then dealing with answers. I mean, the last time we had answers to questions really threw the group for a loop because I was back with Choke, 
so maybe it's good that we're separated here. I'm hoping that the next issue really elucidates the connections and goes into where Kurt has been. But I guess uh, I, I won't hold my breath. I, I don't know. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. All in all, I give this an 8 out of 10 birds. Now over to Chris for the Batman 66 review. Hi everyone, welcome to the Batman 66 review segment. Glad you could make it. I'm Chris and I'll be reviewing Batman 66 number 2, cover dated October 2013 for hard copy release. Originally released in download format. Cover art by Michael and Laura Allred. Variant cover art by Kevin McGuire and Rosemary Cheatham. This issue has two, count them, two stories. Our first story is entitled Emperor Penguin and is written by Jeff Parker with art by Ty Templeton, colored by Wes Hartman, and lettered by Wes Abbott. The story opens with Commissioner Gordon, Chief O'Hara, and the Gotham City Harbor Patrol investigating a giant iceberg, with the Penguin sitting on a throne atop of it, flanked by his henchpeople. Penguin's mall, Penny, clad like a tuxedoed showgirl, presents a document to Commissioner Gordon stating that the iceberg is actually a recognized sovereign nation called Penguinia. Batman and Robin arrive in the Batboat, depicted just like the one from the TV series and feature movie. Batman makes his way up the iceberg and proceeds to take out the henchmen. Penguin informs Batman he's trespassing in Penguinia, and that he'll charge fees to cargo ships for entry into the harbor. Batman tells Penguin that his iceberg will soon melt in a few days anyway, and leaps off the iceberg to escape, but is suddenly frozen and attached to the iceberg courtesy of a freeze ray from Mr. Freeze. Surprise! And is gassed by a trick umbrella from Penny and clunked on the head by Penguin for good measure. Robin, using the new bat sub to rescue Batman, observes that the iceberg is moved by the Penguin's own submarine, just like the one from the 1966 movie, and he cuts the cables and secures the villain's loot. But the villains get away. Get away? Ty Templeton has been a versatile artist over the years and does a great job of capturing the look of a Burgess Meredith Penguin and an Otto Preminger Mr. Freeze. Though I don't think Parker had Mr. Freeze say, wild, at any time in this comic book appearance, as opposed to his respective TV appearance. Fans of the TV series will recall Otto Preminger was the second actor of three to play Mr. Freeze, the first being George Sanders and the last being Eli Wallach. Our next story is Shandell's Shantoose. Written by Jeff Parker, art by Jonathan Case, colored by Wes Hartman, and lettered by Wes Abbott. Here, Bruce Wayne takes out Kathy Kane on a date to see Shandell perform at a nightclub via a work release program. Shandell introduces Laurie as part of his act, who is none other than Lorelei Circe, a.k.a. the Siren. Bruce recognizes the Siren immediately and excuses himself. Meanwhile, Siren puts the men in the audience under her spell and has them give her their valuables along with those of their dates. Batman arrives and tells Siren that he is no longer susceptible to her will due to a meditation technique that he studied. Siren then uses a new throat spray, which then induces Batman in a trippy, psychedelic hallucination where he sees Cersei as a giant, Robin as a robin bird, and Chief O'Hara as a leprechaun. Batman then appears in yellow surf trunks and rides a surfboard to try to catch the Siren a nod slash homage to the surfing outfit he wore in the episode Surf's Up, Joker's Under. Kathy then splashes water on the siren, putting her out of commission, and Batman regains his wits. Siren is gagged by Shandell, angry that she ruined his attempt to go straight. The story ends with the Sandman walking off with Minerva, two made-for-TV villains, and neither mentioned by name here, 
out of the nightclub, with him telling her he was satisfied with the first dry run of the voice storm formula. The end. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Kathy Kane's appearance was a nice surprise by putting her in the world of Batman 66 continuity. Hey, I wonder if she has a niece named Betty. I thought her beret and bobcat was a bit unusual as well, giving her sort of a flapper look and a departure from how she looked in the Silver Age comics. It was an interesting depiction. Case's artwork is suited for a story such as this, especially with a psychedelic hallucination. Overall, Batman 66 number 2 was a very good but not great issue. There essentially was only one setting in each story, and no matching of wits between heroes and the villains, and alas, no cliffhanger. This was a good taste of a fun-sized candy bar. I will give Batman 66 number 2 a total of 7 out of 10 bats. In the next issue, the Joker sees red and Batman scrambles Egghead. Will there ever be a cliffhanger in Batman 66? Will Batman 66 ever have a photo cover with Adam West and Burt Ward? What will Stella do for her next podcast episode? These and other ponderables to be answered next time. Be sure to download the next podcast, same Stella time, or thereabouts, same Stella site. Next up is Babs in the Tube. The Adventures of Batman with Robin Boy Wonder. Batman and Robin, dynamic duo against crime and corruption, whose real identities as millionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne and his young ward Dick Grayson are known only to Alfred the Faithful Butler. Ever alert, they respond swiftly to a signal from the police. And moments later, from the secret Batcave deep beneath Wayne Manor, they roar out to protect life, limb, and property as Batman and Robin, cake crime fighters. Batman and Robin, scourge of Gotham City's kooky criminals. The Joker, clown prince of crime. The Penguin, pudgy purveyor of perfidy. And the cool, cruel Mr. Freeze. Watch out, villains! Here come Batman and Robin! Remember, this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film, and currently I'm watching the 1968 Batman Superman Hour or Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder because, again, it was an hour long, but they cut it between Batman and, of course, Superman. So this is Episode 4, Season 1, Episode 4, The Nine Lives of Batman, Long John Joker, Reign of Iron, and Double Trouble, Double Doom uh, are the the last two are, of course, with Superman, but we're going to be focusing on Long John Joker, air date 5th of October, 1968, starring Olin Sewell as Batman Bruce Wayne and Alfred Pennyworth. Casey Kasem as Robin slash Dick Grayson and Chief O'Hara, Jane Webb as Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon, Larry Storch as Joker, and Ted Knight as narrator. Now, she does appear for one shot as Babs in Nine Lives of Batman, but if you remember way long ago, I did that April Fool's special with all those one-panel appearances or even just seeing the back of her head. Basically, it's like that just a one panel appearance you see her it's scan it's scanning basically from left to right to get to chief o'hara the joker is filming a pirate themed movie but batgirl suspects that there's more to the plot he's making the movie because he's actually looking for a real pirate's buried treasure so there's the short synopsis but take a listen to the episode where batgirl in her guise as plain bab gordon is librarian 
Oh, no, not him again. <laughs> Holy collision! The dynamic duo. You dropped this. Well, thank you, boy wonder. You won't believe this, Batman, but the Joker's been borrowing books on pirate lore by the dozens. He must be up to something. Not necessarily, Robin. He may just be improving his mind. I don't care what Batman says. I think the Joker's up to no good. And I'm going to find out as Batgirl. A little while later, the girl Cape Crusader arrives at a sand spit of land far out in Gotham Bay. What's this? A ship with the Joker's name and flag? Dig me, hearties! Dig we must! <laughs> so, that's the Joker's game. He's making a movie of Treasure Island. But why is that camera pointing away? <gasps> She's out cold, Joker! Take her to the ship! While you languish here, I and my hearties will continue our spectacular production of the ages. The Joker took my utility bag, but not my back buckle. I must signal for help. SOS from Batgirl. What a jump, Roger. It's coming from Skull Island. To the Batboat, fast. At this moment, in the Joker's ship's brig, Batgirl finds she can reach the Jolly Joker Ensign and cleverly turns it upside down. Look, on that old pirate ship, an upside-down flag. It's the international distress signal. Let's go, Robin. I'll torpedo those two. That hook's out. Look out, Batman. <laughs> about time you two got here. What's this movie caper all about? Well, the Joker's not making a movie. The cameras are empty. I saw a map on the set. And it shows a treasure buried on the island by a Captain Crink. There's no Captain Crink in Treasure Island. No, but there was a gangster named Big Arnie who pulled a $10 million heist from Crink's armored car service. He supposedly buried the loot and left a map of its whereabouts before he died. Great. So what do we do now? We're prisoners, and Joker took our utility belts. But the Joker didn't take this away from me. A hairpin? What good is that? Watch. Beautiful. Let's go lower the boom on Long John Joker. This is murder! Mutinous dogs, dig until I tell you to stop. If the loot's not here, move to a new spot. Joker must be around here somewhere. Help! <laughs> Very funny. But I landed on something hard. Holy pieces of eight. A chest. We found Big Honey's loot. Dig, man, dig! We'll all be rich! Yes, the Joker's crew got discouraged just a few inches away from finding it. Easy now. Holy smokes! My goodness! Are you kidding, Batman? That's merely millions! 
just bear with my spendthrift ways while we change the Joker's script. But why? You'll see, chump. Go draw the Joker and his buccaneers away for a while. Okay. Yo-ho-ho, -ho, and the Joker's a creep. The boy wonder. After him. Here's the bat, Lum. You know what to do? Of course. See you later. That's the boy wonder's last cliffhanger. <laughs> Back to the digs, me boyos. Look! The chest! We found it! <laughs> They've taken the bait to the bat boat. to open a chest and get the goodies. Bad boat to starboard! The blasted dynamic dodos! Bad girl! Shiver your timbers and raise your hands, Joker! Unlimber the cannon! They're firing cannon! Stand by for evasive action! The Joker slowed them down! I'll help them catch up! Like Long John Joker struck his colors. You won, Batman. But the loot, where is it? Gone where the island winds, Joker. But that was a fortune in greenbacks. And all counterfeit. The Krieg's car that Big Arnie heisted was a decoy. And left the map for suckers. <laughs> What's that hyena laughing at now? Just this, Batgirl. You can't jail me for looking for phony money I never really found. No, but the laugh's on you, Joker. I'm locking you up for making a movie without a permit. What? You can't do that to me! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Whew. Basically, like, all my comments are, they've got question marks after them. Why does Robin help Joker and not even think twice at the very beginning? How could Batman not think Joker was up to no good? Uh, he may just want to improve his mind? Please. That, that's oh, ridiculous. So, Batman doesn't want to work with Batgirl. But, if you recall this from before, but her buckle actually signals to him uh, that would sort of imply there's some sort of working relationship going on how is Batgirl able to turn a flag upside down by just twisting ropes I mean the way that a flag is hooked in you can't like flip it that would mean that's like standing straight up which is physically as in no gravity impossible especially you're dealing with fluid mechanics with fabric Ugh. so apparently the flag is defying gravity defying gravity so Batgirl falls through a hole in the ground and Batman and Robin just point and laugh at her um wow this wow I don't even know what to say about that and you know it doesn't seem like a good idea to put Batgirl in a safe to be opened by Joker 
and his crew when she would be alone and outnumbered seems like a terrible plan why not stick robin or somebody else in there or at least i don't know be closer than what you were so another zany episode and i guess we we're just gonna have to deal with the zaniness next up is reading with stella Stella presents Batgirl to Dare the Darkness by Doug Mensch, a story taking place in the Batman and Robin the Movie universe. Copyright 1997, Little, Brown, and Company, New York. Chapter 3, Fallen Masks. The next night, a black bat encircled by bright light wavered in the dark Gotham sky. The movement of low clouds seemed to give the bat life, but it was just an emblem, a signal sent on a strong shaft of light from the roof of police headquarters. At the base of the bat signal beacon, Commissioner Gordon stood facing three dark angels. Even though she was one of the participants, Barbara found the scene entirely unreal. What am I doing here? she wondered. If someone had told me just a month ago that I'd be standing in a stiff wind on this high roof under a giant bat in the sky, dressed like this... She gave up, shaking her strangely masked head. Thanks for responding, the commissioner said, and once again Barbara noticed that he seemed to ignore her. His attention was focused almost solely on Batman, but at least his eyes flickered briefly in Robin's direction. It was a lot more than what came her way, which was nothing. Trouble, commissioner? Batman asked. Or news? Maybe both, Gordon replied. We finally got one of the smugglers to talk. That shipment of, of mysterious chips... It was supposed to be picked up by two men coming from a small electronics factory in South Gotham. I had undercover teams staked out on the docks all night, but no one showed. We watched for an hour ourselves, Batman said, from the shadows. I suspect the pickup men were scared off by your lights, Gordon grunted, pushing up on the bridge of his eyeglasses. Anyway, he continued, the smuggler isn't sure, but he's heard rumors that the electronics factory could be a front for Black Mask. Batman showed increased interest. Still no leads on him, Commissioner? Nothing. He's like a ghost. Every time we think we're getting close, he's simply gone. He probably keeps a number of hideouts, constantly moving from one to another, with no set patterns. Makes sense, Gordon said. Plus, he could be anyone without his mask. Until we see his face, he's free to move through the city at will. But one thing's for sure. 
His activities are escalating. More and more crimes committed by his false facers every night. Barbara sensed that the commissioner was building up to something, but was reluctant to get to the point. Evidently, Batman sensed the same. About this electronics factory, Commissioner? Gordon drew a breath, let it out. He looked at Batman, then turned away before speaking. My men could raid the place, he said, but I need a court order. And at this time of night, Batman nodded to Robin. This time of night, Commissioner, is perfect for us. The small factory was dark and silent. Batgirl carefully bridged and snipped both alarm wires leading to the window at which he was stationed. Then she peered inside. Batman slid down a line from a skylight and dropped to the floor, remaining in his crouch. He looked this way and that. Shadowy bulks loomed nearly everywhere. Boxed audio components stacked on skids, but nothing moved. Finally, Batman signaled to two different windows. Robin eased his window open and slipped inside. But as soon as Barbara opened her window, a harsh clangor shattered the night. The alarm system, she realized in panic, but it was impossible. Or had she missed a backup motion sensor? Confused, her nerves jangled by the loud alarm. She didn't know what to do and almost ran. Then, on sheer reflex, she opened the window wide and jumped inside. Batman and Robin were both staring at her through the gloom. The alarm abruptly went silent. Doors banged open in different walls. The lights blinked and blazed on. Freakishly masked men were rushing at them, pulling guns. Oh, and it's all my fault. She darted behind a jumble of boxes as the first shots exploded and echoed through the factory. She moved swiftly through the maze of skids, determined to make up for her lapse, to summon the warrior spirit, the key to Batgirl. She took a jagged route, hoping to circle behind some of the masked men. False facers, Gordon Hyde called them. Members of the Black Mask Gang, whoever Black Mask was. She turned a corner. Yes, there were three of them, creeping up a wide aisle away from her, guns in their hands, searching for someone to shoot. She took three steps and launched herself at full speed. Her flying kick took the rearmost thug in the back, driving him forward into the others. Three guns clattered across the cement floor. The masked men, smiling comedy, weeping tragedy, and a tribal witch doctor, struggled to rise. Three karate chops changed their minds. Batgirl kicked the guns farther away, then leaped up to catch the edge of a box. She hauled herself to the top of the loaded skid. Now she was above the maze. So was Batman, about fifty feet away. She watched him drop out of sight down into an aisle. There was a single shot, followed by the thudding sounds of fists and feet. Good, she thought. He wasn't hurt. From her high vantage point, Batgirl scanned every aisle she could see. There was no sign of Robin, nor could she spot any more of the masked thugs. She ran to the edge of the skid and leaped across an aisle to the opposite skid. A few boxes crashed behind her, but she didn't care. Desperate now, hoping her mistake wouldn't be costly, she was determined to pay the price. She moved to the... She moved to the edge of the skid and looked down a perpendicular aisle. From here, she could see several of the false facers moving along an assembly line of metal rollers near the far wall. She headed in their direction, leaping stealthily from one stacked skid to the next, always landing softly, careful not to dislodge any more boxes. She reached the edge of the last skid. Again, it was a trio. They were on the other side of the assembly line, turned away, still unaware of her. Batgirl took a small, weighted capsule from her belt. Then she dropped, landing as softly as she could, crouching to absorb and minimize impact. But all three masked men whirled as one, a scar-stitched Frankenstein monster, a skull face, and a huge-eyed alien. Each held a gun, two black revolvers, and one silver automatic. They were going to use them. Becker hurled the weighted capsule to the floor under the assembly line. The capsule popped and then hissed. 
She was already lunging forward when thick smoke exploded upward, and three shots punched holes through it. <coughs> over there! Look out! I can't see! Batgirl vaulted over the assembly line, through the billowing smoke, and slammed into Frankenstein. She rolled up to her feet. The three men were nothing but dark shapes moving in confusion through the haze, completely disoriented. But she was the master of this confusion. It was her ally. She had practiced under these conditions countless times in the cave, and she knew precisely what to do. Where is... <coughs> there! There! Over there! Three more shots rang out, harshly ricocheting off metal surfaces. All three men were doing their best to murder her. She backed off and flattened in the thickest smoke. Seething with anger, understanding why Batman loathed guns, she pushed off and moved in low, rising only when she could kick two weapons in rapid succession. Hey! My gun! Now only the alien was armed, but the smoke was already thinning and she had to work fast. She grabbed the alien's arm and twisted hard. He yelped in surprise and she banged his wrist down on the metal rollers. The gun flew from his hand and clacked to the floor. She jerked the arm up and then dowered again with a twisting motion, using a judo move to pinwheel the alien into Frank. Frankenstein. The swirling haze was almost gone, and with it the elements of surprise and confusion. A grotesque skeleton mass thrust into view, looking like hollowing plastic. She smashed it with the palm thrust and was immediately sorry. The mass was far more solid than it looked, but at least its wearer was dazed. Batgirl leaped into a spin kick that sent the skeleton mask flying and revealed an even uglier face beneath. She finished the thug with an elbow to the jaw. There was a shot from the other side of the factory, somewhere in the maze of skids, followed by the sounds of distant fighting. Batman, or Robin, or maybe both. Please, she thought, don't let them get hurt. Then she turned to look for the two remaining thugs. The alien was holding his arm in pain, still down on one knee, but Frankenstein had found a crowbar. Batgirl dropped into a defensive crouch, ready to ward off a blow from any direction, but at the same time wondering about the wisdom of blocking metal with bone. Then Frankenstein made his move, swinging the crowbar viciously. Batgirl stepped within the whistling arc, pivoting her left forearm to chop Frankenstein's wrist. The crowbar glanced off her back, bruised hard but breaking nothing. It clanked to the floor as she dug a right hook into Frankenstein's ribs. He doubled over and staggered back. Batgirl was livid now. The man had tried to crush her skull. She moved after him, but was forced to dodge back as Robin cannonballed out of nowhere, his whipping cape clearing the last of the smoke as he deftly landed in her path. Filthy habit, he said. All the smoking, but you rang, madam. He executed a courtly bow. No, I didn't, Batgirl replied, her jaw set hard. She was still angry and in no mood for antics of any kind. Then it's a good thing I noticed you needed help. I don't need help, she snapped. All she needed was a clear path to the brute who had tried to brain her. Never fear, Robin said, not when the boy Wonder is here. And he abruptly kissed her cheek with mock chivalry. She was so stunned she almost smacked him. But Robin was already spinning away, plowing into Frankenstein. There was a whirring sound off to Batgirl's right. She turned to see the alien some thirty feet down the assembly line, almost comically trying to escape. He had jumped atop the metal rollers, and his feet were now frantically slipping and skidding as he fought for balance. On the assembly line next to Batgirl was a box, probably awaiting inspection by the morning shift. She slapped her gloved hands on the box and shoved it down the line as hard as she could. The well-oiled rollers spun freely, and the box nearly flew over them. It slammed into the alien's ankles, smacking his feet right out from under him. He looked like a cartoon clown after a close encounter with a banana peel. Heels overhead, he bounced off the assembly line and hit the floor hard. He did not get up. Standing over the felled Frankenstein, Robin was flashing a grin. The need for Batgirl's warrior spirit had passed, but Barbara was still seething. 
She stalked straight at Robin and stiff-armed his chest, forcing him to lurch back. Hey, he said. I didn't need any help, Barbara said, and I didn't ask for any help. Easy, girl, Robin said. I can finish my own fights, Barbara snarled. And don't call me girl. She stabbed a finger in his face. He held up both palms, backing away. Okay, okay. I was just having a little fun, that's all. Being clubbed and shot at is not fun. Now just stay out of my... A deep voice cut her short. Enough! Barbara turned to find Batman right behind her. He was good at that, a living shadow, able to move in total silence, to materialize at will and disappear whenever necessary. Drop it, he said. Both of you. But Barbara's ears were still burning. Unable to control herself, she boarded. But you don't know what he... Now! She fell silent, but Batman continued staring at her for several long seconds. Finally, he said, You went directly into the line of fire. It was my fault they found us, Barbara tried to explain. I was trying to make up for, You never go head on against guns, but never. Barbara knew he was right. She also knew she was angry with herself and simply trying to take it out on the others. On the masked thugs, on Robin, even on Batman. But knowing this did not ease her anger, and she had to force herself to stop arguing. Batman moved past her to the sprawled alien. He knelt and removed the weird mask. There was miniature electronic circuitry in the forehead area of its inner surface. Just like all the other masks, he murmured. Then he pried something from the recessed slot and held it up to the light. It was a small square button. A mystery chip. Back in the cave, as Batman and Robin hunched over a dozen weird masks spread across a table in the crime lab area, Barbara was still biting her tongue. The two men seemed utterly oblivious to her presence, unaware of her existence. Still fuming, she turned away from the light and strode off into one of the Batcade's gloomier areas. She really needed to cool off. Soon she found herself in a dimly lit hall of trophies. It was an array of bizarre displays, reminders of past encounters with Gotham's most grotesque villains. She had seen the trophies and mementos before, but had never really studied them. A gigantic Joker playing card hanging from the ceiling. A mannequin with one side of its face ripped and ruined trick umbrellas and robotic penguins, a huge Lincoln penny, a hat studded with question marks, Catwoman's leather whip, a sci-fi freeze gun, an enormous stuffed dinosaur. Soon the masks would be here too. It all seemed so strange to Barbara. Obsessive. Creepy. She backed away and brushed against the cold tip of a low-hanging stalactite. It disturbed a flurry of actual bats, suddenly alive and all around her. She flinched away and watched them flutter off into deeper darkness. To her, they always seemed like jagged shreds of blackness torn from a nightmare, and she suddenly realized why. They were the dark and dreaded totems of the Batman, but they were hardly familiar to her, and they could never be comforting. She shuddered, feeling lost and alone in the cavern's vast gloom. She was still an outsider, perhaps even an invader. She turned and headed back for the light. Each and every mask had a mystery chip implanted in its miniature circuitry. E-D-O-M, Batman said, perhaps even R-H-I-C. Robin looked at his mentor as if he just sprouted a second head. E-D-O-M, the youth echoed. What are you? Barbara cleared her throat and made both of them turn. <clears throat> you know, she said, I'm starting to feel left out around here, not needed. She waited, but Batman said nothing. Robin made a face at her. Like an intruder, she continued, in the exclusive boys' club of the Batcave. Obsessed with the problem at hand, Batman clearly had no time for this. Then perhaps you should focus your energies outside this cave, 
he said. And since you plan to major in computers, I can arrange for you to intern at Wayne Tech for the summer. Barbara gaped at him, stunned, but his mask gave away nothing, almost frightened her, in fact. She looked at Robin, who shrugged back at her, obviously unwilling to intervene. Was he jealous of her? Resentful that Batman had taken on a second partner? It didn't matter. They were leaving her no way out, other than backing down and denying her feelings. And that was something she simply couldn't and wouldn't do. Slowly, returning Batman's stare, she reached up to her head and removed the mask of Batgirl. Yes, said Barbara Wilson. Perhaps I should leave the cave. Then she turned and stalked off for the rock-carved stairs to Wayne Manor, simply letting the mask fall to the cave floor. To be continued. Next up is Stella's Literature Recommendation. And I am actually going to recommend uh, Anne Rand or Ayn Rand. Who knows? Uh, it's A-Y-N. I know I hear people say Anne and then there's some other crazy way of uh, pronouncing it. The Fountainhead. Um, I am actually for the most part enjoying it. I say for the most part because there was something that I had heard about happening. This rape. And I was hoping that it wasn't going to be done by the main character, who I actually was enjoying and liked, and I appreciated him. And unfortunately, that's who did it. So, I mean, it is, it's is—it's—it's really all about architecture. I mean, of course, there's other stuff that goes on, but I, I really like Howard Rourke and just the fact that he sticks to his guns and, and what he believes, and he believes in modern architecture and and just having, you know, form follows function. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this, you know, in the 20s and, and all this stuff is, this is like the period of skyscrapers and everything that I did several reports on and just really loving it. And, you know, just having that in, in writing form and story form was great. And at that time, people just really were fighting this and, and wanting to continue to do brick buildings or classical style buildings, even if they were skyscrapers, and people would hire him, but then they would change his designs or say, we'll accept it if you do such and such, and he sticks to his guns and his belief system and says, you know, no, I I will not do this, you know, that's, it's just covering up the beauty of the building, and uh, he's got this other guy, Peter Keating, which, ugh, he just, ugh, I don't know, he just annoys me, he, he basically got by, uh, you know, using everybody else and and especially using Howard Rourke um he would go to him and ask for some help or ideas and then Howard would like basically tear his designs to shreds and, and fix stuff and then Peter would come in the next day to the firm and it'd be brilliant and he's, eh, it's just ridiculous so the one thing that really frustrates me is you know how I really like strong female characters uh, you know Jane Eyre and Gone with the Wind are my two favorite books so you can you can see why but we've got this Dominique Franklin and or Francon who knows how to pronounce it but most ridiculous crazy female character I think I've ever encountered perhaps um I mean the entire rape scene like I'm not gonna read it here but if you've read this book answer me this was that a rape scene or was it not it was just going so back and forth because on the one hand she didn't want it but then like throughout like that entire scene it was also saying like through this action this is what she really wanted and I'm like what is going on and of course like the relationship continues the romantic relationship but I only have about a hundred pages left so 
she married well it's so there's just some crazy stuff man i mean she loves howard work and loves his buildings but she tears them down in her column writing in a in a newspaper she writes for and she gives all these uh clients to peter keating um just like i don't know she wants to see howard work suffer and it's so ridiculous and then she ends up meeting uh marrying peter keating and then in a business sale for him to get this property this sort of this neighborhood of houses uh, she ends up marrying somebody else and that's where i am right now and i'm wondering how this is but it's like the most bizarre care i'm like woman you need to get your act straight you're about to destroy yourself which is like the point of it i'm gonna have to read some in-depth stuff on like just what is going on and it's sort of just like an analysis of uh some of these characters motives i think but really at the base of it and the in the base is structure is really what i like is is just howard and and him like i said you know being faithful to his beliefs and and really seeing architecture for what it could be at that time and and right now they're they're sort of moving more towards modern architecture but it was a real struggle in the beginning of the book so i do recommend it i know man people have a love-hate relationship with this woman um so i guess if you've read other stuff like anthem or i was shrugged and you did not enjoy it then maybe hold off on this one i've not read those so i can't comment on that but you know who's john galt right uh let's see i think that basically is it for this uh episode hey are you interested in writing any articles um or maybe reviewing any dc comics that are particularly well they i mean dc comics how about that um or ones that are tied more closely with the batman family and if you are i just really suggest you maybe write into me or write into dustin and um we're just really trying to expand you know tbu and get more people on board and more opinions out there and you know i get these emails or posts that you guys obviously you have opinions and we hear them on tbu as well and it would just be great to have those consistently and you know maybe we don't well obviously i don't for the most part like batgirl but maybe you love it month to month and hey maybe i'd like to read your article on why you love it month to month and why not be a monthly reviewer and uh you know i call this sort of the pimp out dustin section and he i don't know i told i i told him one day you know do you think dustin people are scared of you and he said i don't know and you know i'm just wondering because you know he's got this sort of batman voice it's very low and everything and and uh of course he was in the military and um he seems like a taskmaster and you know he tells me to stop talking about shippers or things like that and you know you're giggling too much and things like but he is actually he's a really nice guy and he's really respectful and it's it's great to work for him he's got it all together and it's been what such a great experience for me to be on tbu and podcast with everyone on there especially him and he just i mean this was a leap of faith for him to even take bto and and support it and um so it's not i mean obviously that's not a bribe the fact that he supported bto but that just it's based on his character and so if you are frightened or intimidated and thinking i don't know if i'd get along with this guy i mean you know it's just like any sort of boss that you would have as long as you're doing the work and it's you know high quality work and and you're working to the best of your ability and getting things on like there's not going to be any difficulty and 
you know he doesn't yell at anyone and and he's very gracious and gives you time to do stuff so i just you know if you are frightened or intimidated and that's the reason why you'd love to write but you're just scared don't be scared you know give it a shot so yeah email me or email dustin and and yeah be a part of the family i think it'd be great to get more book reviews and more opinions out there well remember you can send any questions comments to backgirloracle at gmail.com remember some of those questions i had above um especially you know what do you think about well black men and and williams leaving uh do you think that didio well number one did he really say they don't they don't deserve personal lives is that a direct quote or is that just cbr making that quote up and then everyone else is quoting it uh do you agree with you know what he's saying generally about the bat family and then of course about tong and and that sort of that decision that tongue was actually going to be a girl and did you think that that scene was better than than the scene i'll just leave it there than the scene in batgirl so i i'd love to hear your opinions on those like us on facebook or follow us on twitter at batgirl the oracle you can also like the batman universe on facebook as well once again thanks to mile high comics and tweaked audio for sponsoring batgirl the oracle the barbara gordon podcast thanks also to bcbd.com that's the big cartoon database for the episode summary for long john joker well fall is coming oh i love fall i love it i just no i'm i'm excited for cooler temperatures and you know i love to run on trails and it'll be great to be running when the leaves are when the leaves are falling so and i signed up for a 5k on october 12th i thought a 5k would well obviously it's easier than a 10k but i thought i think i'll do that probably i could have done the 10k but i just decided to do the to do the 5k so what have you i guess i'll push up later on but people are asking me sort of you know what's next you know you did the tough mudder what's next and you know the 5k it's completely different from tough mudder you know just running uh but i am thinking about doing a triathlon sprint in the spring so i you know i run i i mean not a great extent you know four miles is sort of my long day I guess so I run I swim and and I do uh, cycle it's just putting them all together that's going to be the thing so we'll see but uh, get outside and enjoy the fall and hopefully the leaves will start changing and I hope you have had a first month back at school that has been great if it or and not too filled with trials I guess if you're still in school and until next time fly on Babs lovers just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle who knows is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll Batgirl ah, I love a happy ending don't you